Well, happy Valentine's Day. Hopefully you men didn't forget it. I made that mistake one year. Not that I forgot it, it's that my wife said she didn't want anything. And I believed her. <laughs> and I've never done it again. <laughs> so we always have good things going on. <laughs> she doesn't want anything means she wants something. She doesn't want flowers means she wants flowers. Okay, guys, that's a little marriage counseling, marriage advice for you. Well, open up your Bibles to the letter of First John. And the title of this morning's message is Pursue Love. I thought it was appropriate for Valentine's Day as we, as the world, as Pastor David prayed earlier, is celebrating Valentine's Day and us too. But what is love? Everybody's pursuing love today in some sense, celebrating it, looking for it, pursuing it. But we're, <laughs> but we're going to look at what Scripture says about love, and I think finding it in the most important places in the Lord our God. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for another day to live and to breathe and to experience all that you have for us in life. No matter what place we're in in our life right now, Lord God, we know that you had ordained it from eternity past and that you are in charge and above all things. May we trust that, Lord God. And as we open up your word this morning, may you speak to us in a powerful way, Lord, and help my voice not to get in the way, Lord God, as you speak to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So pursuing love, you know, as, as you try to define love, you know, what is love? Is it a verb? Is it a noun? Is there different ways to talk about what you love? You know, you love sports and your wife, and hopefully not the same way. Hope we got this in the right order. You love chocolate ice cream or Whatever it is that you love, there's all different types of love. But we're going to look to the scripture this morning and find out what love is as defined by God. Because that's what's really important for us as believers this morning. And if you're not a believer, I pray that you will, will leave this place as one, desiring to love God and to love the way he's called us to love. So we're going to read two short verses. First John chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. But keep your finger here as we, we're going to skip around in a few verses looking at love. So John's writing about this throughout his letter. Love is just prevalent in this letter. And I want to just hone in on two verses in particular, starting in verse 10. He says this. In this is love. This is love. In this is love. Not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So from the very beginning, John defines what love is. And love is, as he says from the very beginning, it is not, not that we love God. And I want to stay on this phrase for a few minutes and point out a few things. Number one, love isn't defined the way that we love God. Love is not derived from humanity, nor is love defined by humanity. Our culture, as much as they try today, is trying to change what love means. 
If you point out somebody that something is wrong, they're saying you're not being loving. Imagine if our children did that all the time. We told them something. Hey, go brush your teeth. Oh, you don't love me. Hey, don't run out to the middle of the street. Oh, you don't love me. No, we love you. That's why we tell you to do that. Our world is doing that. When you tell them a certain lifestyle isn't wrong, is wrong, they say, oh, you're not being loving. If you're not letting them do something, it's not loving. You know, the famous line is don't judge. Well, we'll look at that. But love isn't defined by society. It isn't defined by you or me. It is defined by God. Turn back a few verses to verse 7. And he really develops the context of what we studied, right? What I just read. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Love comes from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, as we continue. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So love comes from God, and God himself is love. Now, notice the. Notice this, love does not define God. God defines love. So if there was a dictionary that said love, and it would have the word God, that would be the definition. Love is God. And God defines it. Love does not do that. Love does not define God, because we all have different ideas of what love is. And we're going to get into the specifics here in a moment. He goes on in verse 9, by this love, By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. So love, the love of God was manifested in us that he sent his own son. It's a sacrificial love. This is what he's talking about. Love is sacrificial. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to define that in in a minute. Again, the important thing to note here is that love is not defined by the way that we love each other. In the very beginning, going back to our text in verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God. So our, because our love's not perfect, is it? Our love for God is not perfect. Our love for God is pure. Our love for God fails. Our love for one another fails. So praise God that his love is not like ours, right? Imagine if God loved us the way that we loved God. So what exactly is love? Well, I think the best definition can be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'm sure you knew I was going here. Verses 4 through 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. This is where the Apostle Paul is writing to the church and telling them what love is. What love does. He says this, starting in verse 4. Love is patient. And all these things, by the way, define God. And God has defined them, by the way. But they describe God, I should say. That's why love is God. So love is patient. Love is kind. And is not jealous. Love does not brag. And is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is, it is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love 
never fails. This is the love that God has for each and every one of his children. That's the type of love that we're called to. When I do a wedding, I, I read that to the married, to the couple that's getting married. I don't know if they really see it because they're like glossy eyed, like just trying to get through it, waiting for that part where I have them repeat after me so they don't mess it up. But it's good for me as I'm saying it. I'm thinking of it myself. And here I am telling this couple that is getting married, married what love is, and then reminding myself, do you do, he's, God's saying, do you need to do that with your wife, with your brothers, with your sisters? Do you love that way? <clears throat> That's love defined. That's the perfect and pure love. And each and every one of us fail at that. And that's why I said, thank God that God's love for us is not like our love for him. So it's not that we love God. Going back to our text now in verse 10. In this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That's an awesome statement. God loved us. And John's writing to the church. Now, God loves all his creation but I want you to know in context, he's talking specifically to the church as we talk here. He loved us. And there's something to note. God doesn't love you and he doesn't love me because we're so great. As we'll see in a moment, God's love is not a response to our actions. Right. We don't. God says, oh, you know what? You're loving me. I'm going to I'm going to love you now. No, God loved us first. Scripture says. As a matter of fact, God initiated the love. And I'm going to show you two verses that show you that this happened before we could do anything. And the first one is in, is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. You can just write these verses down and, and look them up later in context. Or if you're fast enough, you can flip with me. If you actually have a Bible or you're not using your phone or whatever it is. Ephesians 1, verse 4. Look at what it says. Just as he chose us in him before, what? The foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. God's love was for us before the foundations of the world were laid. So that proves that there's nothing you did or can do or me, myself, can do that would cause God to love me. I can't be good enough. I can't be holy enough. I can't do enough righteous acts for God to love me. He loved me before the foundations of the world were laid. Not only that, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, here's one more. It says this, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners. In the midst of our sin, in the midst of the most horrible place we were in, God loved you. Loved me. So I don't want that little phrase to go unnoticed in First John chapter 10, that he loved us. Again, he didn't love us because we're so great or we did something so good. No, he loved us before we were, this world was ever around. And he loved us even while we were in the midst of our sin. That is so awesome to think of. It should be comforting, too, because guess what? It means you can't lose the love that God has for you. In the midst of your sin, God still loves you. And I thought of that, you know, in the midst of, you know, thinking of your, you know, think of your own children. When they do something wrong, you might not like it and you might be upset with them, but you don't stop loving them, do you? 
They might think you do. But no, we still love him. When my little son Jonathan does something wrong, I still love him as much as I did the day that he was born, but he's going to get disciplined. And that's the same thing with this world. This world doesn't understand. Just because we say some, God says something's wrong doesn't mean he doesn't love you. He still loves you. And we as Christians still love you, but we're pointing out that something is wrong. Just like we do with our own children. God loved us. That is great news. Good news. But God's love doesn't stop with just words and before the foundation of the world was laid. Going back to our text again, look at what it says in the rest of this section that we're reading in chapter in verse 10. But that he loved us and he sent his son into the world that we might live through him. Excuse me, I read the wrong verse. Verse 10. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of for our sins not only did he love you but he sent his son into the world to demonstrate his love towards us and he took our place that word propitiation means um it's a sacrifice an appeasement to the penalty that was due to us that we were to pay christ stood in our place and took that penalty for us he knew that we couldn't do anything to appease God in ourselves. The Old Testament sacrifices were just a covering for sin. They did not do away with sin permanently. They did not remove them. And we could not do enough righteous deeds to repay that sin or that penalty. It was only the perfect Lamb of God that could come and take away and and wash away that penalty that was due to us. You know, we couldn't go and, you know, like, God doesn't say, okay, you need to go and serve some time for me for, like, two years, and then your sin's paid for. No. That's not it. And unfortunately, some churches teach that. There's a place called purgatory where you go for a little while because you need to get washed up and cleaned up before you stand before God. That is an affront to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's saying, Jesus, your sacrifice on the cross, that wasn't good enough. We need to also do something else. No, Jesus paid it all. And I want to show you the gravity of that in the book of Revelation. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. This is a great parallel of how only Jesus could be the one to redeem us. Because here in Revelation chapter 5, John, the same author of the letter that we're reading, is looking for somebody in all the world who will open the scroll for God's plan. Like, who can do that? And this is the same thing that would be said about who's going to pay for sin. Look at what it says in in Revelation chapter 5. The more I read Revelation, there's just so many awesome things in this book. Look at what it says. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? Who's worthy to unfold God's plan of redemption? And look at verse three. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly. Because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. 
And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain. So he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the only one open or uh, the only one that can open these scrolls. There's nothing anybody can do, he says, on heaven and earth to open this. And so he's sad and he's weeping. You see that parallel with our sin. There's nobody that could take away your sin if it wasn't for the lamb. Look what he says. Again, I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and, and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased. Excuse me, you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. They're praising God for what he's done. Jesus Christ takes the scrolls. He's the one that's worthy to do it. In the same way, Jesus is the only one that's, that can pay the price for our sins. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do. You can't be good enough. You can't go to church every Sunday for the rest of your life. You couldn't serve in Sunday school every Sunday like I'm paying my price. Whatever you think it is, I'm serving the Lord. I'm suffering for the Lord in the mission field. None of that means anything towards our salvation. It's already been paid. Our service to God is just a thank you and appreciation for what he's done for us. It's our part to help edify the body of Christ. I hope that brings comfort to you that you don't have to be good enough because you can't be. You don't have to read your Bible every day, pray every day, whatever it is you think you need to do. No, Jesus Christ is the only one that can take away the sin of the world, your sin and my sin. That's just so awesome. I hope it's comforting to some who've been trying so hard to do the right thing to get right with God before they came to church. You know, you've heard some people do, oh, I'm not ready for church. You know, I need to change some things in my life. Well, that, that's never going to happen. Even if you did change them, it doesn't mean anything. Come to church now and let God transform your life. All of us are a work in progress. None of us have attained perfection, have you? Okay, thank you. Everyone's serious. <laughs> some of us are close. No, I'm just kidding. You know when we were close when we were born? That's about as close as we got. So what should we do? Therefore, because God loves us in so great a manner, going back to our text, look at what it says. Beloved, if God so loved us, if God loves us this way so much, what should be our response? He says, we also ought to love one another now we as believers are called 
to love one another. And again, I said, remember, he's talking to the church. The church of God, we should love one another. That doesn't mean, oh, what, I don't have to love anybody out there? All right. Well, we'll get to that. But in context, he's saying love one another. Your response as a believer, because God has shed so much love on you, is to love one another, our brother and sister in Christ. The Christian, more than any other person, should demonstrate love to others in all that we do. I like this verse in 1 Corinthians uh, 16, 14. It kind of summarizes what I just said. 16, 14, the Apostle Paul says this. Let all that you do, again, he's writing to the church. Let all that you do be done in love. Everything we do should be done in love. Remember at the beginning I said, even when we discipline our children, they think we might not be loving them, but we do it in love, don't we? We should. We should do all things in love. Disciplining. The way we talk to our friends and our spouses. Are you doing it in love? Even at times when you get angry, there is a righteous anger. Are you doing it out of love? Or are you doing it out of something else? That's very convicting. Think about that the next time you want to... Hus- I always pick on husbands because I'm a husband. So think about that the next time you're going to say something to your wife. Are you doing it in love? Wives, don't use that on your husband now. Is that in love? Because... Because we could say the same thing. Like, was this dinner made in love? What's going on? No. I'm just, not mine. No, 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 no. Those other guys out there. <clears throat> You're like, was that preached in love or what? <laughs> Do it in love. We as believers should be known for our love. And unfortunately, we have a jaded history and everyone can... Oh, what about this? The Christians did. What about that? Well, we're not perfect. And Jesus said never. He didn't say follow my believers, did he? He said follow me. And we're to follow Christ as best that we can. So how do we demonstrate our love for God? So God so loved us, and our text says that we should love one another. But how do we demonstrate our love towards God? How do we show God that we love him? Well, all throughout uh, first John and even in the gospel of John we're told go to John chapter the gospel of John chapter 14 but keep your finger in first John because we're going to go back and a, a lot can be said and I may overdo the verses but can't go wrong quoting scripture well you can if it's out of context <laughs> but I'll try to keep it in context well how do we demonstrate our love for God well, it's number one, it's in obedience to his word. We obey the word of God. That's how we prove that we love God. Now, let me start with this. We're not going to do it perfectly and we fail every day. But a Christian should strive to do that. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse one. I don't even know why I have that. that's the wrong verse. Oh, I haven't done that in a while. That was a good one, too. All right, let's skip. Let's, I got another one, don't worry. Do I have John 14.1? Did that come up? Okay, forget it. Go to... <clears throat> well, somewhere in there, Jesus... Yeah, that's not the verse. Dang it. 
First John, go to First John. This one, hopefully, is right. First John, chapter five, verses two and three. First John, chapter five, verses two and three. By the way, that's John fourteen fifteen is what I was looking for. It says this: Jesus speaking to his disciples, "If you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments." God says, "If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments." That doesn't mean you're going to keep them perfectly, because even through 1 John, he talks about if those who say they're without sin are liars. We're striving, we're trying to do it. We desire to do it. But 1 John, going now to 5, 1 John 5, verses 2 and 3, says this, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. John points out over and over again that if we love God, we're going to obey him. You know, I liken it to if you love your spouse, you're not going to do things that upset them or contrary and make them upset. You know, if I say I love my wife, but I'm out there cheating on her day in and day out, does that demonstrate my love for her? No, it's just words. That's why you can't just say, oh, yeah, I love God. Everyone says they love God unless they're an ardent atheist. I love God. I believe in God. But do you obey him? God's saying here, if you love me, you keep my commandments. So you can't say that you love me and and just do what you want. And unfortunately, society says, no, as long as you love, that's more important than obedience. Those who are trying to, and redefining marriage and all this, as long as it's love, No, but you're disobeying his commandments. You can't change his commandments and just say it's all about love. Again, going back to our children, children say, you don't love me. You don't let me do what I want. Well, it's not good for you, child. You need to shower and brush your teeth. When they're real little, right, the little ones don't want to do that. When they're teenagers, they spend like hours in the shower. You can't get them out. obedience to his word is which demonstrates how you love him so you can't say you love god and walk contrary to his commandments habitually well what else demonstrates that we love god as the text is saying is that you that we love our christian brothers and sisters we should love those who we have fellowship with in this church do you can you say that you love one another i hope so Again, in our text, he says, Beloved, if, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And again, that's in the context of the church. Church, we should love one another. Now, we might, just like a family, make each other mad and, and get upset with each other, but love should start here in the house of God. We should love one another. And if you're saying, well, I don't know if I really have to do that. <clears throat> well, Scripture, go down to verse 20 of, First John chapter four, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother. He is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You know, that doesn't just go for this church Izzy he talks a lot about the church universal. That means the church everywhere. So there's no room for racism in the Christian church. Your brother and sister who you see, you can't say you hate them. Because they're from a different country, a different nationality. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. You love them. 
can't say that you hate them and love God. In the Gospel of John, I'll just show you one verse, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this is the telltale sign to the world that you are his. John 13, verses 34 through 35 says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, either, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men, meaning the world, will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. If there's love in the Christian church and the world knows, oh, those are disciples of Jesus. That's the way it should be, Christ said. That's how they know that you're my disciples, because there's love one for another. They see something different in the church. It should be that way. We need to reclaim that. So the way that we demonstrate our love for God is, one, obedience to his word, two, loving one another in the Christian church, and here we go, loving our neighbors, those outside the church. Remember in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it wasn't go to temple you know, read the old, read the scriptures. No, it was love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. He says, on these two depends the whole law and the prophets. All those commandments that he gave, so you just do these two, you're going to follow all the rest. Because your wife is your neighbor. Your parents are your neighbor. Your friend, you're not going to steal from them if you love them. Right? You're not going to covet your neighbor's wife if you love them. So it's love. This is what we're to be known for. This is the example to the world. And we're called to love them. And there's a third type of person that we're to love as well. Look at Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. So we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We love our neighbors. But we're also called to love our enemies. Yes. This is a great section of the scripture. Look at what it says. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. <clears throat> but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? Everyone loves people that love them. The Christian is called to go beyond that and love even further. He says, if you greet only your brother, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So we're called to go above and beyond. Love each other, love our neighbors, and even love those who are seeking to persecute us, those who give us much pain or grieve us that don't like us. We're called to love them. Pray for them, it says. doesn't mean you have to have them over your house and hang out. 
but we're to love them, see them as Christ sees them. I think that's the point here. We're to see everyone as Christ sees them. When I, when I used to uh, teach the junior high, <clears throat> and we get to that point about, you know, uh, being sexually pure, one of the things I would talk about is the scripture says to see each other as brothers and sisters, right? You, you know, tell the boys, you don't look at your sister in an impure manner, do you? And then they look, they look at like, oh, I don't want to. Yeah, that's the point. We're to see each other first as brothers and sisters. See each other as God sees each other. Our enemies see them as someone that God wants to save. We should see them that way. That's the love that we're called to do. So what do we do? Let me bring my point. The application here is pursue love. We as Christians should pursue love. First Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14.1 says this. like this verse. After Paul talks about what love is and defines it, he says, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, that's not the point. The point is the first thing, pursue love. We as Christians should be pursuing love, and that word pursue means to follow, to hunt, or to chase after with intensity. We are to do this more than anything else in the Christian life, more than uh, wanting to serve in the church or go to church or to worship. He said, pursue love. Remember, he says, if he does all these great things in the church but does not have love, they mean nothing. He could be the greatest preacher in the world or the greatest worship leader, the greatest Sunday school teacher or whatever it is, the greatest missionary, but if you do not have love, he says it doesn't mean anything. Apostle Paul said that. So we're to pursue love. How do we do that, number one? I think if we grow in our understanding of God's love towards ourselves, if we truly understand how much God loves us and get a grasp on that, we'll begin to love others. We'll begin to pursue after it in such a way that we'll see people like God does. So spending time in God's word and in church helps us realize, man, God loves me so much. I I hope that's what's happening in this morning's sermon is you're realizing how much God loves you. And then that just manifests itself in you loving others that same way because that's what we're called to do. Not only that, grow in your understanding of the character of God, understanding who God really is, all those things, how patient and kind he is and long-suffering is towards us. Remember I said at the very beginning, thank God he doesn't love the way we love. We get so angry and impatient with people and with each other. Why? That's not in love. That's about us. You're wasting my time. I'm getting impatient with you, so I'm going to get mad. That's not love. No, we need to pursue love. Think about that other person more than ourselves. I love what 1 Peter 4.8 says. He says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And that word fervent, I like the way John MacArthur said, he said, it means to be stretched, to be strained. It's used as a runner who is moving at maximum output. And their muscles are straining and stretching to the limit. Is your love stretched and strained to the limit? I know mine's not in every aspect of my life. But we're to be fervent in it. Once we love, keep loving, don't stop. 
Again, put the spiritual needs and good, the good of others ahead of our own self. Love that person so much. Think of their benefit. That's what we're called to do as believers. In any ministry that you serve in, are you serving for the love of the people that you're serving if you're in any type of ministry? Is it all about them and not about you? What about at work and even at home? We as believers are to be looking for the benefit of our coworkers and those in our home. Again, we're to let love be everything and let love never stop. You know, for my children and for my wife and yours too or whatever it is where you're at, how can you love them more? How can you uh, share the love of Christ more? And I know it's not by getting mad or getting impatient. That doesn't demonstrate the love of Christ to them. And I need to work on that in all areas of my life. And even with your coworkers, you know that one that gets on your nerves? I don't, that doesn't happen to me. But I need to love them more. Why? For Christ's sake, not for mine, but for Christ's. Maybe something I do will just cause them to ask about church or ask about Christ or see something different in me than everybody else. I really have to work on that, especially with those salesmen. Man. Dang it. <laughs> Everywhere. <clears throat> Let me just close with this, with this last verse. It is an encouragement and a challenge to each and every one of us. In Colossians, Paul writes, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is from the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for your love that you've demonstrated towards us. As we saw this morning, how you love us before the foundations of the world were laid, while we were yet sinners and deserved nothing but your wrath, you loved us. And you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and be the propitiation for our sin. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody in this room this morning who has not received that love or understood that love, that this morning they would cry out to you, repent of their sin, ask that you would forgive them, and in return would follow you. Lord, and for the rest of us who are your children, your, your church, forgive us, Lord God, for not loving the way you've called us to love. We fall short every day. And Lord, we know we will leave this place and fall short again. We're so thankful that you're a patient and kind and loving and ready to forgive those who would come to you. But Lord God, help us to grow in our love for our brothers and sisters here in this church, for the churches outside these walls, churches in other countries. Help us to love them as well, Lord God. Lord, may there be no prejudice or racism named among us, for we are all created in your image. Lord God, may we learn to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. May we learn to love our enemies and pray for them, Lord God. We pray for the church who's persecuted, who suffers real persecution, Lord God. That you would give them a desire and in the heart to love their neighbors, but that you would deliver them, Father God, from whatever they're suffering. Lord, help us to do it not because we can earn anything from you, 
but because we love you and we are your disciples. And we pray this in Jesus' name.